0: This patient shows up at the doctor's office and is complaining of severe pain. Uh, gets taken back, and the, the doctor walks into the room and says, I, I have here on my, on my sheet that you have severe pain. Can you show me where the pain is on your body? The patient says, Absolutely. And pain starts here, but kind of works up here. And there's also pain here. And I mean, there's, there's pain here, there's pain in here, and there's even pain just all over here. And doctor looks perplexed for a moment, and then, ah, so I know exactly what the problem is, I've seen this before, your finger's broken. <laughs> <laughs> as it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Have you ever hurt one of your little toes? Like, really hurt it? You know, like, it's just that little toe. Like, do I really need you? But your whole body cannot get over the fact that that little toe is hurt. It, that one little part of the body consumes the rest of the body, and rightly so. And we are the body of Christ. The Lord has made us one body. We suffer together. We rejoice together. But we do all these things together because we affect each other. Do you know that? We affect each other. We are one body, many members, but one body that the Lord has brought together. And when one suffers, all suffer. When one is honored, when one rejoices, we all rejoice. We affect each other. There is an effect that you are having on me. And there's an effect that I'm having on you. There's an effect that you are having on each other. We affect each other. And the question today is, what effect are you aiming to have on others? What is the effect that you are aiming to have on others? And I want to go ahead and start with kind of a caveat that this is not at all to say that you should put on a mask and you should hide anything hard because that could affect them negatively. No, you take the mask off and we genuinely step into suffering together. We bear one another's burdens and thereby we fulfill the law of Christ as Paul said to the church in Galatia. We do not put masks on. You do not hide when things are hard. You are honest. We come truthfully with who we are. The question today though is what is your aim? What is the aim? What is your aim and how you affect others? And we're continuing in our series Philemon. Again, asking that question, what effect are you aiming to have on others? Philemon chapter one, we're in verse seven. We're gonna cover a whopping one more verse today. So There you go. All right. Verse seven, Philemon, verse seven. Paul is writing here. Remember the context. Paul is writing. He says, for I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So I want you to hear Paul say this. Hear Paul saying this to Philemon, this slave owner who has a slave named Onesimus, who has run away, has wronged him in some way. And Paul has encountered Onesimus. Onesimus is now a believer. He's serving Paul. And Paul is saying, hey, you need to make this right. You got to go back to Philemon. Onesimus, I'm sending you back, but I'm sending this letter ahead of you. Because Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. I want you to put the gospel on display and how this plays out. But as Paul writes this very personal letter to Philemon, Hear Paul, hear his voice as he says, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And Paul's saying, This is true of you, Philemon. That I, I personally have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Again, that familial language, brother. So, what effect does Philemon have on the church? For Paul, It's great joy and encouragement. It's great joy and encouragement for Paul. That's the effect that Philemon has on Paul. But then we also see in there, why? Because of his love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by him. The effect that Philemon has on the church, and remember there's a house church that's gathered in his home. He is hosting a house church. He's a man of means, he has wealth, and he's brought all these brothers and sisters in. And the effect that he has on them is that their hearts are refreshed refreshed hearts. Do you know what refresh means? The Oxford Dictionary says it's give new strength or energy to, to reinvigorate. And don't we all want that? Don't you want that this morning? For your heart to be refreshed, for it to be re, meaning it's this prefix that means again or to repeat or to go back. That I want to re, I want again a heart that is fresh. Fresh, meaning it's not previously known or used, it's new or different. Don't you want a heart like that? That your heart can be torn, can be hurt, can be so weary, can feel so crushed, can feel so many different things, but don't you want a heart that feels like it's brand new? I am saying you can have that. And that can be one of the effects that we have on each other is that we can refresh each other's hearts. We can give new strength or energy to their hearts. And so again, you remember the context here. This is Paul talking to Philemon, a man of means. And sometimes people help. Sometimes the effect people have in their helping is they're helping in a way that does not lead to refreshment. Like you might meet some needs, you might do something good for some people, but what you've done instead of refreshing their hearts is given them a sense of inferiority or a sense of indebtedness that now I owe you something. It's, It's the shame that comes with the help. And that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is like how Philemon is acting. That is, he helps with whatever means he has, the effect he's having on the saints is that their hearts are refreshed, that the help actually is good. It's bringing life to their hearts. And that's because love is sacrificial, not transactional. That love is sacrificial. It will cost us something to love each other. Um, Greater love has no man known than this. The one would lay down his life. What? That love is patient and kind And all these things that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. And you know what is true of all those? It's costly. And it's worth it. It's worth the cost. And so we, we give sacrificially. We love sacrificially, not transactionally. And what this really means is that there has to be an aim to our loving. There's an aim to the way that we're trying to have an effect on others. And that aim is to hit the heart, not to hit a need. And I think that could reframe a lot of what, like justice is a huge deal in our culture today. Um, it's, it's really, uh, pardon the word, but it's sexy to serve people who are hurting. Like our culture loves that and celebrates that. But what if the aim is not just to be able to put it on social media and say, "Look, look at the good I did. What if the aim is to go beyond just meeting somebody's immediate tangible need, but instead to hit their heart? How different would our serving be? If every time we encounter somebody, even on a Sunday gathering, if every time we talk to someone in our one another time, if we listen and we heard them, and not just like, oh, I just want to be a sounding board for you to voice what was good or what was bad, and then enter into that, but like, I'm here with you, and I'm looking for your heart. And I want my heart to resonate with your heart, because when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one is honored and rejoices, we all rejoice together. But to aim for the heart, what was the result? of the saints' hearts being refreshed. As Philemon is refreshing the hearts of the saints, as he's aiming to meet needs, as he's stepping into their lives, aiming for the heart, what effect does that have? It gives Paul great joy and encouragement. Great joy and encouragement. But where does that great joy and encouragement come from? How did he provide that? Read it again. It says, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love. From your love. And so if we want to aim correctly... We have to come from what is the constant, like if you're, if you're aiming a rifle, you're aiming a bow, you're aiming a Nerf gun, whatever it is, you have to have something that is stable. And so you pull that against your shoulder, you hold it right, you lock in, you get your stance right, whatever it is, because you have to have something that you're aiming from and towards. If you, don't ha- if you just have something you're aiming towards, but you have nothing you're aiming from, then you're not gonna aim well. What do you aim from? You aim from love. And you go towards their heart. And so Philemon... From his heart, from love, he gives great joy and encouragement because Paul sees the way that he's refreshing the hearts of the saints. It's from love. It comes from love. This is our text, like, this is our go-to text as a church, Beloved Church, that the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 7-9. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Our love, it brings joy and encouragement to others, but that love comes from God. The love that we have that can be the the starting place of our aim and going out to the hearts of others, that love that we have, is not sourced within ourselves. It comes from God. God is love. He comes and he proves his love for us. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of it, that our love and joy, bringing encouragement, bringing joy to others, comes from God, that God would come to us, that Jesus, God the Son, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, he would take on human flesh. He would be born of a virgin, and thereby sin would not be imputed to him, and He would be fully human, in this amazing thing that he is fully human and yet he is fully divine. The God-man, Jesus Christ, who literally walked this earth. You can go today and you can stand on the streets where he walked. You can see the places where he taught and things happened. That this is real history. That this man was also God in man. The God-man, Jesus Christ, and he lives a life unlike any of us because he never sinned. He was pure. And holy in every way, he never missed the mark. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law, actually. And then, the perfect, the only innocent man to have walked this earth, also the creator of all men, was killed by his own creation. As Jesus was murdered, he was crucified, nailed to a cross, where he died. But he kept telling everyone, "This is going to happen. This is the plan." That he came here knowing he would die because what he did in that death is he took our place because God is just. He is just, there is just consequence for our sin, namely death. And it's not just physical death, that yes, we face physical death because of sin, but also spiritual death, this separation from God, that we are created to be with God. And yet we've been divided, we've been taken apart from his presence because he's holy and we have defied a holy God. But that God is gracious, he is just. And so there is a real consequence for our sin, but he is merciful and in grace, he comes and says, I'll take the punishment on myself. I'll die the death that you deserve. I'll take your sin on myself. And so he died in our place in this substitutionary atonement, meaning he was the substitute. He was on that cross in the place of Kevin Franklin and you, anyone who would put their trust in him, he was there for you. And then he died. His heart stopped beating. He stopped breathing. And he was placed into a tomb. And they walked away thinking, it's over. But just like he predicted on the third day, his heart started beating again. He started breathing again and he got up and he left that tomb having conquered both sin and death and he holds the keys of death and hell. He is the way back to the father and he says, trust me, put your trust in him for salvation. He alone can save you. He is offering forgiveness at his own expense. So we say this a lot, but that's that's at the heart of what forgiveness is, is to say there is just pain that is due on someone. Justice demands that because you caused pain, you must experience pain, at least of the same magnitude, if not more. But forgiveness says, though you have wronged me, though you have caused pain, I'll just absorb that pain on myself. The pain that is justly due to come back on you, I'll just take that on myself and not hold it against you. And that is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He took our penalty. He died for us. And then he rose again victorious and he's called the first fruit. Meaning it's like winter has ended and the first seed has blossomed and we are going to follow. Then now we get to come back and we're gonna live with God forevermore by grace through faith. And so you put your trust in Jesus, the one who died, the one who rose and is inviting us into life everlasting with him. Turning from our sin, confessing, we are broken sinners and we must turn from our sin. This is why Jesus preached continually, repent, repent. Meaning turn from your sin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We turn from our sin and we turn to our savior because to turn from sin is to turn toward God. And he's saying, follow me now. So we follow him. But why did he do all of that? Yes, he's just. And so there's due wrath. There's just punishment, consequence for sin. But he's gracious. And so he offers life and forgiveness for us. But why? Why would he do all this? For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Why God? Why all of this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And now that vertical love from God comes to us overflows in a love for others. The source of our love is not our own love. It's God's love that then overflows outwardly and goes to others, vertical, flowing, horizontal. It's this bottom idea here is just we affect each other. We affect each other, and we affect each other out of love. Let it be good. So would you recognize today that you have an effect on others, and what is that effect? Let it be good. Let your aim be good. Aim for the heart and source it in the love of God overflowing through you and out to others. Let it be good. Let the effect we have on each other be good. It's got to come from a heart that's being affected by the gospel. This truth that God loves us this much and that we want to affect each other in good ways. And if we can, if we can affect each other positively, you know, the, the shadow side of that is we can also affect each other negatively. And so you have to ask, what effect am I having? Is it good or is it bad? In any context, in any sphere, like in different relationships, I mean, It doesn't take long to think like, you know, in the way that I relate to that person, in our conversations, am I actually helping or am I hurting? When I get into this environment, into this group of people, and we start to talk, what does the conversation always shift towards? Is it grumbling? Is it complaining? Is it just decrying what we don't like about something? Remember the story of Exodus and how angry God would get over complaining and grumbling. And instead, what can we do to make this beautiful What can we do? How can I relate to others in such a way that it would actually be refreshing to their hearts and not just spread this bitterness and discontentment, but instead would refresh the hearts of the saints? We aim from love and to the heart. But sin is deceptive. It's blinding. And we often do not realize and we don't want to admit that sin reaches further into us and out to others than we want to admit. This is the way that Marshall Siegel says it. He says one way Satan tempts us into lovelessness is by convincing us that the consequences are few, insignificant, and confined. He wants us to think that no one else's life will really be affected by our decisions. The sin that we think we can hide—just that's that's just here in this dark corner in my life. Whatever it is, you know what it is for you. It might be many things. But That thing that we think that we've got a handle on—it's in the cage. We got it under control. No one else knows just spend a few moments thinking about what effect does that really have? When you indulge that thing, when you practice that thing, when you, when you see this small sin that you don't think has an effect, look at what happens in the rest of your day and watch as those tendrils actually sneak their way into other relationships and the way that you view things, the way that you feel, it has a deeper effect on us than we want to admit. And it doesn't just affect us, it affects others. And so we have to be honest about that. We don't live in isolation. And so we need to be mindful of that and then celebrate when it is good. When the effect we have on others is good, it's not pride that you would be happy about something good that you did for others. You should enjoy that. You should rejoice in an opportunity to refresh the hearts of others. And then you should recognize that in others and call it out and celebrate it. I know this can get into a weird thing because you know, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing and all that stuff. And yes, but he also said, hey, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The, the leadership axiom is that when we celebrate something, we will repeat it. And so let's be a church that is perpetually celebrating the ways that we're refreshing the hearts of each other. Celebrate the good things that you see. Call attention to it. Not in a way that builds up or puffs up man, but says, yes and amen, I see the gospel at work in your life. It's bearing fruit. It's refreshing my heart and the hearts of those around us. Let's celebrate it. Because imagine what all could happen amongst everyone. Like in this context, Philemon. He's a slave owner. One of his slaves has run away. Paul has encountered Onesimus, this runaway slave. Onesimus has given his life to Christ. He is a brother, a sister, adopted into the family of God. Paul knows this. Philemon knows this too. But Philemon is hurt by Onesimus running away. And Paul is saying, hey, you you give me great joy and encouragement from your love. I see the way that you refresh the hearts of the saints. I see the effect you have on others. I see the effect you have on me, Philemon. It's so beautiful. And I'm calling you into that. Just go deeper with it. Onesimus is coming back. I want you to receive him differently. Let it be different when he comes back. What if you were to refresh his heart? What if he didn't have to be afraid coming back? What would it look like? What would it look like to everyone watching And a culture that said, yeah, slavery is normal. You you bought him. You rightly own him. And he wronged you. It's possible that he even took some stuff from you. He belongs to you. He should come back. He needs to make this right and come back and submit to you as the master. But what if everyone watching and understanding that in that context instead saw a master run out, run out, and throw his arms around Onesimus? And not say, slave, it's, it's about time you got back here. But instead, screamed out, brother, I'm so glad you're home. Welcome home. I love you and I forgive you and I'm just so glad you're here. How can I refresh your heart? What would the world watching think of the gospel? If it had that kind of an impact on Philemon. And everyone watching, the way that their hearts would be refreshed. To witness the gospel at work. It comes back not as a slave or a criminal, but as a brother. And then whatever your situation is, if someone has wronged you, what would everyone around be thinking? Because it's really easy to get people on the justice bandwagon of like, you wouldn't believe what they did to me. You wouldn't believe how they've hurt me. And do you know, as Paul told the Galatians, be careful. You might bite each other and end up devouring everyone. This tit-for-tat thing, we are humans and we should be honest about the fact that we will fail each other. Hey, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors of this church and I just want you to know up front, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't want to, but I'm going to because I'm human. And I'll try not to, but I'm going to. In the same way that you're going to do the same to me. This is why it's, it's, a, forgive, it's, it's a command to forgive each other because the assumption is you're going to wrong each other. But if the gospel means God has forgiven me, man, if God in his infinite holiness can forgive me, man, I can forgive you. And it's safe here. And so the one who has wronged you, in every opportunity, whether someone just cut you off or someone has really, really hurt you, and it's been years in the making, but if you, like Philemon, could shift the way that you receive them back and put the gospel on display in such a way that the world would say, how do you have the capacity to forgive and love them like that? That's so refreshing. And say, because of the way God has done this for me. Imagine the witness that we would have, how bright the light would shine and God, our Father in heaven, would be glorified. What good works has he called us into It really just looks like a matter of forgiveness and embracing, of aiming from love and to the heart to say, I want to refresh your heart. Ah, what fruit would the gospel bear. I just consider the rippling effect. For your love and action, being witnessed by others. Because when someone witnesses your love and action, do you know what it's going to bring about in them? It's going to mirror. Like that ripple comes across and ricochets back. And now they are inspired. Their hearts are refreshed. To where Now, not from a broken or hurt or deflated heart, but now a refreshed heart. Now I can do the same for others. And then I do it for them. And then this ripple continues on and on. That Now they can do it. And it's just, it's, it's just going everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Like I have a pool. It's not a big pool. Uh, my, kids, my kids and I, and we, occasionally we let my wife in, but you know, we, have a ton, we have a ton of fun, tons of fun. It's Florida, it's hot. And so we jump in this pool all the time. It's not big, um, but so, so when it rains hard, it overfills pretty easily. And so when it gets over full, I'm told that you're supposed to keep the water in that nice little range on the skimmer so that it can go in there, it doesn't burn up the pump, or like it lets the stuff that's on the surface go in there and all stuff. So I just know the water level is supposed to be in this range. And when it rains, it often goes above that range. And so we need to get water out. I'm far too cheap to run the pump on the outside that lets water just dump out into the yard. Um, so we do this manually, um, which means me and the kids get in the pool, and I'll get one of those tubes. Uh, put that bad boy around my, around my waist, and my little floaties, no, i just kidding. But the kids are in the pool, and, and I just start with like, everything's calm. Just one jump, and little ripples go off. Jump again, little ripples go off, jump again. And I just keep jumping, and you know what happens? Those ripples, they go out. And they hit the wall and they start to come back and I'm creating more ripples. And next thing you know, the kids are in there and everything is chaos. As water is exploding like the Little Mermaid movie with the water behind her, it's it's just hitting the walls and it's exploding everywhere and spilling over. All the bad stuff is going out and the good stuff is here as my children are here and as a father, I delight in hearing them laugh and scream. This is amazing and they're working with me in this to push out the darkness. Do you see what's happening? That God has called us as his children to be light in this world. To drive out the darkness and we jump around and we play, and he's the lights in hearing his children laugh and scream and work with him. Because the ripples go out and it becomes this symphony that comes to this cacophony that becomes this just crescendo of beauty as the glory of God resounds around this world. Like we start that in this church. And it starts with saying, What's my aim for you? I want it to be to refresh your heart in the gospel every time you encounter me so hope you walk away saying, man, I love Jesus more. I love him more. Huh? I feel refreshed. I want to go do that for someone else. What if that was our aim? Oh, Let's make it so. You pray with me. Father, you're so good to us. You're gracious and glorious. You're majestic. You're just. So we thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, your submission, that you would humble yourself to the point of death on a cross. And so you have been given the name that is above every other name. So God, Spirit, would you help us to proclaim that, to point this world to the only hope that it has. Let it be a ripple that resounds and becomes massive throughout this church that we would love each other well and we would be refreshed in the gospel. We would aim for each other's hearts and then it would spill over into this community and go around the world. Use us. Help us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.